You're listening to Splendid Chats, recorded live at Continuum 9, Contraindicators, on the 9th of June, 2013. This episode of Splendid Chats contains spoilers for episodes ranging from an unearthly child to the name of the Doctor. Listen at your own risk. Polarity with Splendid Chats, the podcast that until recently was going to 11. Please welcome your hosts, Splendid Chats, both of them, Ben McKenzie and John Richards. Hello. Hello. This is nice to be here, isn't it, John? It's nice to be anywhere, but yes, it is particularly nice. <laughs> To be here. Uh, this is we're at, coming from Continuum 9, the convention, uh, which is very exciting to be out. Yes, the Victorian Science Fiction Convention, the ninth one. I'm going to assume that that numbering is correct and that there hasn't been some kind of retcon going on. Basically, we do one show a month for each of the Doctors, number one through 11, making this show number... 14. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making up the numbers now because I, even I don't know how many it's, we're it's doing. It's out of control. It we'll really just is. have to tally ourselves, make marks <laughs> and just figure it out eventually. Oh. Covered in marks and we can't remember any of the podcasts. <laughs> yeah, and today we're looking at spoilers and surprises, which really should be spoilers and cliffhangers, but it's not alliterative. So we're doing spoilers and surprises in which we're going to look at yeah, spoilers, cliffhangers, how the show works, the importance of these things and such. So it seems like we're having a double theme, guys. What should we do about that? Why don't we bring some guests out, Petra? Today's guests are both authors, but try not to get them mixed up. One of them has written over 60 books for children and teenagers, including the Gamers Quest series, as well as Machine Time, a fourth Doctor story for the Big Finish collection, Short Trips, Defining Patterns. In 1996, he fulfilled every author's dream by playing a delivery man on Neighbours. Our other chap has also written a range of fiction, including the 2010 novel Madigan Mine. She's been making up stories her whole life, but once said, technically, it's not called lying if you write them down. She's also the co-presenter of the award-winning podcast The Writer and the Critic. Here's a hint, she's not the critic. Between them, they've won more awards than you could shake a stick at unless you had a very strong arm and a really big stick. They're George Ivanoff and Kirsten McDermott. Now, we should say that continuing our traditional theme of being the most visual audio podcast there is, yeah. that George is wearing a particularly lovely coat there. Tell us, what, tell, who are you wearing, darling? I'm wearing the TARDIS jacket. Should, should oh. I stand up and show it to the uh, recorded audience? <laughs> Phones out, tweak. Uh, so for the listeners at home, it's a, it's a, it's a more or less a, a dinner jacket, really, but it's been painted to look it like the outside of the... It is an op dinner jacket that has been painted, yes. And painted spectacularly well by whom, George? Uh, by my wife, Kerry, oh. because I'm not at all um, artistic. <laughs> well, big props, big props you're an, to you're Kerry. You're an author. Well, as in, uh, well, right, yeah, not arty artistic. You're not you visually know, I can't artistic. Paint, I can't draw unless you want stick figures. You can only paint with words, George. <laughs> yeah, Kirsten, have, have you right. painted any jackets lately? Uh, not, not lately, but I, I did, I've just remembered actually now, um, when I was in high school I went to a screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and I dressed up as magenta, as you do. Um, only I couldn't find a black maid's outfit, so I bought a navy blue um, catering outfit and painted it black. 
Because it had the white collar and cuffs and otherwise it was perfect except it was navy blue. So I'm there with paint. And actual paint, not fabric paint because I was 16. So oh, wow. actual just paint you and been... it was the stiffest piece of fabric I've yeah. ever worn in my life. Oh, well, the, even with fabric paint, this jacket is, is, is very, very stiff, which is why I'm kind of sitting forward like this and not leaning back because I can't. <laughs> Now, we always start off by asking the guests, how did you get into the world of Doctor Who? What was... What was uh, Kirsten, how did, how did Doctor Who come to you? Um, on a small black and white television in the 1970s. I used to uh, come home from school and I know, it, I know it wasn't on at 3.30 in the afternoon when I came home from school, but I have no memory of what I did between coming home from school and watching Doctor Who. Um, but, yeah, I, I watched it uh, religiously as, as a kid and um, starting with Tom Baker. And I, no, actually, no, I think... Well, anyway, Tom Baker was my doctor and um, went all the way through to um, Tristan from All Creatures Great and Small. <laughs> a range. There's like a range there of doctors, four through five. Yeah, no, but I, I did... I, I, did watch bits, but I, yeah, I kind of drifted away, I think. And I, I started watching New Who, but not for me. Not for me. Not at all. How early did you make that call? Halfway through David Tennant's tenancy. Oh, yeah. yeah. I nearly gave up then too. And I, I've gone back and watched a few random episodes that people have said, no, no, you much, must watch this. And so I do. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> We should stress too at this point, uh, we always say there is no wrong way to be a Doctor Who fan at Splendid Champs. Always a good, safe space, safe space. Yes. Now, George, how did you get into Doctor Who? Um, oh, it, it happened in primary school and it, and it happened because there were all these kids running around the playground shouting exterminate at each other. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I had to join in. I had to find out. And uh, so I went home and I watched this thing called Doctor Who. And I liked it. And it was Tom Baker at the time. But then, you know, it was the ABC and so they showed um, uh, Pertwee stuff as well. And that's when I really got into Doctor Who. I liked Baker as the Doctor, but as soon as I saw Pertwee doing it, I absolutely fell in love with the program. And even though Baker was the first Doctor I've seen, Pertwee um, has remained my favourite. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been watching it ever since. I haven't stopped and I watch New Who as well as Classic Who. <laughs> George isn't a quitter like some of us <laughs> So we're here today to talk about spoilers and surprises Let's start off though by getting a little bit of history On the concept of the spoiler from Petra Elliott According to the Oxford English Dictionary A spoiler is a structure on a motor vehicle Intended to improve road holding When travelling at very high speeds Although one of the other definitions is a description of an important plot development in a television program, film, etc., before it is shown to the public. Incidentally, the last word in the Oxford English Dictionary is zixt or zeixt, an obsolete Kentish term for the second singular indicative present form of the verb see. <laughs> spoiler, ruin that book for you now. <laughs> While we think of the word spoiler as a modern interweb term, where it started out as the more urgent spoiler alert, it was used as far back as 1971 in a National Lampoon article entitled Spoilers by Doug Kenny, in which he listed many spoilers for famous films. In a 1980 issue of the Star Trek fanzine Universal Translator, an angry fan suggested any possible spoiler should be preceded by the text... Warning! I am about to commit a spoiler. If you do not want to know the end of this story, skip the rest of this paragraph. In all capitals. 
Nerds. Notable Major League spoilers included AMC revealing the upcoming death of a Walking Dead character in an ad for the DVD. AMC, again, accidentally releasing episodes of Mad Men to iTunes weeks before broadcast. And The Ages, Jim Shembury, revealing the killer in Scream 4 in the first line of his review. Shembury bizarrely claimed later he was punking the Twitterverse rather than the more plausible explanation that he was being a dick. In the world of Doctor Who, major spoilers have included the release of the Five Doctors novelisation before the story was broadcast, the leak of an incomplete edit of Rose to the internet before the show's return in 2005, and the inadvertent delivery of a handful of Series 7 Blu-rays to customers before the final episodes had been screened. Some feel we have become too spoilerphobic, however. Asked if there were things people shouldn't know about his novels, Stephen King said, there are no spoilers. You might as well say, I'm never going to watch The Wizard of Oz again because I know how it comes out. So when it comes to spoilers, and in a minute we're going to go into trying more to to work out exactly what a spoiler is, but Kirsten and George, just what's what's your first gut instinct to the word spoiler? Interest. I, I, I like finding out about things before they happen. I, I like spoilers to a certain extent. There you go. I'm going to have my cake and eat it. I like spoilers to a certain extent. I like to find things out and then I like to speculate on what they mean. So you like to find I don't out want someone to actually tell me how something is going to end. Okay, but there's a degree there of there's a certain amount of information you can have. Yes. Well, there's, there's almost a certain... You have to have some information to get you interested in, in watching or reading anything. So there's that line you walk between how much do you give out to pique people's interest? Um... And yeah, I for for personally as a reader or a viewer, I like to know as little as possible. Um, I really like because you know I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that the the writer or the producer or the director has has spent a lot of time crafting the arc of their story and deciding where to position reveals and all of that sort of stuff to build suspense or heighten mystery or, or to pull the reader along. So, yeah, if, 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 I, if a blurb on a book tells me the first two-thirds of the book, <laughs> it's a little disappointing um, and, and vice versa. Um, on the other hand, I mean, Stephen King has a point in that I, I, re, I re-watch a lot more than I re-read just because of the time factor, but I, I do re-read favourite books. I do re-watch favourite movies and TV shows. Um, about once a year, um, we re-watch Black Books. It's kind of becomes a seasonal thing. It's like, I think it's feeling like Black Books again, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So we get the DVD. And we've seen them like a dozen times, but we... And that's comedy. That's comedy, which really, honestly, once you know the punchline, surely it's not so funny anymore. But there's, there's an anticipation about knowing what's coming that, that is actually a pleasure in itself when you, when you know what's coming. That said, you only get one chance to watch something or read something not knowing. You get a million chances to read it and watch it knowing what's coming. So I, I'm still very much wed to not... Knowing as little as possible, because I can always do the rereading and the rewatching. that's fine, but I can only ever once have that chance to to get it as it was intended to be presented. That, to I, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show was because The Writer of the Critic, which is a multi-award winning podcast, uh, it's a show where, where you actually say up front, we will talk about the entire book, including the end. Yep. It, it is a podcast that, that... We spoil the crap out of everything. You so totally <laughs> do. Yes. I've been a guest on this, which is why I can say this, because I remember going, are we allowed to say this? Uh, it's like, and, sure, can we talk about the ending? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> 
And so, and so what, is the, what is the thought there? What is the thought with the writer and the critic to go, we can discuss this entire plot? Our first two episodes, I should point out, I think it was only our first two, we, we didn't spoil. And we were really careful about not spoiling the books we were talking about, which was actually important for the first episode because we were talking about a Catherine Valenti book which uh, we'd gotten the, the arc for. So it hadn't even been published yet. We didn't think it was really fair to, to spoil a book which no one could have possibly have read. Um, but because we, the format of our podcast is there, the, the two of us, we recommend a book to each other and then we spend a good 30 to 40 minutes talking about each book. So we found after the first two episodes that it was quite hampering not being able to talk about certain plot points and, and very often the ending because when you are when you, you finish a book or a film, sometimes it's the ending that makes or breaks it. And if you can't if you didn't like something because of the ending and you can't talk about the ending, it's really stifling. Um, so we we sort of talked about it and, and we had some people tweeting us saying, you should just spoil them. You're about to say something really interesting we could tell and then you stopped. <laughs> um, so we we look at it as we're engaged in um, critical discourse, which means that we're, we're not reviewing, we're not, we're not trying to pique people's interest about something, we're, we're critiquing something in depth and in full. So we are assuming people who've listened either have read the books we've read or, or don't really care, they're just interested in hearing about them, but they either don't care about being spoiled or they never intend to read them. But um, So, yeah, we're, we're engaged in something that's a bit different um, to, to reviewing necessarily. And so, Ben, what's your thought? Because our, uh, the show we recorded for The Fifth Doctor, Ben had written two jokes about John Hurt into the script yeah. because that guy's hilarious. Yeah. And... and I, I had been spoiling myself like crazy and knew everything that was going to happen and you had known nothing and had just yeah. inadvertently... <laughs> I, avoid, I avoid spoilers. I, I used to watch them. I mean, I, my first experience with spoilers was back in the internet days of spoiler space where the soonest you could get an episode of something that was airing in the UK was as soon as somebody you know knew someone in the UK who would record it on a VHS tape and send it across the sea. So it took ages. But we, we still had mailing lists back then. We weren't barbarians. And um, so we did communicate about them on the internet. And some of the mailing lists that I was on, we were, we were very, like, we religiously used spoiler space. And we were the kind of mailing lists and news groups where you didn't just write spoiler space and then leave a bunch of blank lines because you knew some people's mail clients would not show blank lines. So you would write stuff in the spoiler space to make space between the bit that said, there's a spoiler coming and the bit where the spoiler actually was so no one would accidentally read it. Yeah, we were nerds. And... Um, and so, and I, and I really appreciated that because I didn't want to know. And I remember I read an article, there was a couple of articles came out a couple of months ago um, about why spoilers are so bad, like why people react so badly to being spoiled. And it's, it's kind of what Kirsten was saying, like you only get that one chance to read or watch something for the first time not knowing what's going to happen. And a large part of the enjoyment of that first watch or read is the anticipation. So it's kind of also harkens back to what you were saying, George, which is that you know, you want to know enough to know that you want to know what happens, but you don't want to know what happens in advance. So you might want to know that something crazy is going to happen, or you might want to know, for example, that the Doctor is going to regenerate, but you don't want to know 
what's going to cause that or exactly what the new character is going to be like, even if you know who the actor is who's going to play him. And that anticipation of finding out is a big part of the pleasure. And and there was a study done uh, at people who were offered a free meal at a French restaurant and they were asked, you know, do you want to have the free meal at the French restaurant tonight or do you want to put it off and have it a week later? And most of them said, yeah, I want to have it a week later because they wanted to enjoy looking forward to doing it. And if you get spoiled, like I got spoiled for one of the most recent Game of Thrones episodes where there was a big spoiler um, and I got spoiled without even looking at the internet. I was at a gig doing a storytelling gig and the MC used it as a metaphor at the end. It's like, yeah, telling these stories is a bit like knowing blah in Game of Thrones. I'm like, what? I haven't even, I haven't even had a chance to get spoiled for that on the internet and but someone in is, real life did it This is me. the thing though because I, I kind of go, I alternate a bit on I'm Because my thing is I'm always more interested in the execution of the idea than necessarily the idea itself. And to me, I'm not that fussed about knowing, like I'd read a review of The Name of the Doctor before I got around to watching The Name of the Doctor because it was just quicker and easier to read the review to know what was happening. And, and also because I really not enjoyed the series, so I didn't care. But it was just that thing of, of the execution for me is, is more important. And occasionally I've spent years where I've gone, okay, I'll be spoiler-free for this season, only to discover that the Cybermen were going to fight the Daleks from reading an article in the Financial Times about a Eurozone crash of... So, like there was, there was no conceivable way I could have known that information was going to turn up in this article. But it was like, in some ways, the Euro is like the Daleks fighting the Cybermen in the most recent episodes. Like, no, shut up! It was like, so, so it's almost like, I think, to get paranoid about the spoilers is slightly irrelevant because it's going to happen... Yeah. Anyway. And interestingly, like what the spoiler that I got for that Game of Thrones episode, to use that as an example, was that um, was that a particular thing would happen. And I didn't know when in the episode it would happen or how, but I knew it was going to happen. And it, and it was something that the producers of the show purposely didn't announce. And I'm not counting the publication of the book. It was based on 13 years earlier. But... Uh, so what, what happened no was... no one reads books. I know. <laughs> but so what happened was I was sitting there knowing this thing was going to happen. But because it didn't happen until right near the end of the episode, I was like, oh, maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's not going to happen. I've been sitting on the edge of my seat going, when's this thing going to happen? I'm being very careful not to spoil it for anyone in the audience. Um, and then not only did that thing happen, but a whole bunch of other things that I didn't know about that were just as like surprising to me. And I was completely blown away because once the first thing that I knew about happened, I thought, no, oh, nothing else is going to happen. I was like, oh, no, I was wrong. So it's kind of, in a strange way, it added to the anticipation, knowing, like you said, George, a little bit, but not the detail. And and sometimes the spoilers can lead you off uh, to uh, expect something that doesn't happen or... Or happens in a different way. I mean, the the, re- the recent episode in the the John Hurt thing. You know, I'd read all the stuff. I knew that John Hurt was going to be in the fiftieth anniversary special. I've seen the photographs. I was, you know, participating in lots of speculation about what he was, you know, going to be doing. But I had no idea that he was going to be in the final episode of the season. So having him show up there was a complete surprise. Yeah. And that was kind of cool because I was like waiting for him to appear in the 50th anniversary special, but here he was earlier than I thought. Let's try and define the spoilers a bit more. We have a list here of 10 potential spoilers from Doctor Who over the 50 years. Uh, Petra will take us through them one by one and we'll just determine whether or not these are spoilers. So, Petra? That police box is bigger on the inside. An unearthly child, 1963. Spoiler or not? I, I reckon it's part of the premise of the show, mm. isn't it? I think so, it is. But, but it's a big reveal in the episode. Mm. Nobody yeah, in no, the, nobody's got a comment. No. Well, I, I'm just trying <laughs> to remember. It's, it's hard to divorce because when I when I start, I mean, I, I can't remember the 
first episode I watched of Doctor Who, but it seems that it's always been in my head that the TARDIS is is bigger on the inside than the outside. And certainly the first episode I ever saw, it wouldn't have it would have been something that was taken as as fact. Yeah. Because there'd been so many episodes of Doctor Who beforehand. It wasn't a reveal thing. It would have just been that thing like, oh, it's, it's, it must be bigger on the inside. Um, so I, I, because it's, it's that something's in my head, it's hard to imagine what Doctor Who is without knowing that. So it's really hard, I think, to go backwards and decide, I don't know, if, if you don't know that, that Darth Vader is Luke's father. <gasps> what? <laughs> That, that's a really big reveal in that movie. But there's so many people who know it and they haven't seen the movie. They just know it. There's, you know about Psycho. You know you know all these spoilers. I knew what Psycho was before I saw the movie. Well, one of the audience members just yeah. passed us a piece of paper saying, I remember people complaining about spoilers for Romeo and Juliet. How long is long enough? <laughs> and I kind of have that too, that I, I kind of feel... Yeah, like 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 you said, Psycho. There's a joke about that in Outland, about the biggest spoiler. It's like, it's 50 years. You know, it's like, like at what point... At what point do we let that go? I was on a panel at, at a convention last year, true story, and we would, I forget what the, we were just talking and someone brought up Catcher in the Rye and they said, and, and you know, and at the end, and someone in the audience went, oh no, it's like, put their hands over their ears, it's like, Catcher in the Rye? <laughs> Come on. Uh, yeah, see, I think, I feel differently, interestingly, about books than I do about TV shows and films, because with a TV show and a film, it's very quick to see it, like it's going to be in the face in media, but with a yeah. book, really there's no way to accidentally know what happens in a book. Like, you won't walk into the lounge room and someone's reading the book out loud and you hear the crucial part, like you might if they're watching it on a TV, right? So, so I think you, you've got to give people... I, look, it happens in my house all the yeah. time. I'm, I'm going to start walking down the street reading books aloud. <laughs> <so laughs> yeah. by can just get random spoilers. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I... Look, I agree that, like, there's certain things that permeate pop culture and there's no way you can, you know, insulate someone yeah. from knowing... For example, now, excuse me, you can't insulate from someone knowing that... Uh, the TARDIS is bigger on the inside. But, but at you know, the time... At the time, nobody knew. And yeah. I think if somebody has never come to Doctor Who at all and they wanted to see it without knowing, I, I wouldn't tell them, you know. I'd say, yeah, oh, you're in for a fun ride. Actually, in Rose, was it a reveal? I'm trying to remember now. Did it was a reveal to Rose. Yeah. And to kids who are watching it without knowing without about knowing Doctor it. Who, it would have been a reveal to them. Yeah. And, in fact, if you're watching Doctor Who during the John Pertwee era, there's loads of stories you could watch where you would never know because he never even goes... You never he doesn't even go into the TARDIS, let alone got his going in it. sitting in the garage. Yeah. There, there's, there's one re- I was watching when we did the Pertwee episode, and, and the console, I think the idea is the console's been removed for him to work on, but it's what appears to be some sort of Indian restaurant. Like, it's a weird flock wallpapered, <laughs> possibly a brothel. And I, I, was, I was trying to work out what, what it was meant to even be. Like, it was such a confusing scene. And I think for a kid at the time, if you knew anything about Doctor Who, you would have assumed that's what the TARDIS looked like on the inside. It had flock wallpaper and lamps, you know, and... And I, the thing about this one, though, the, 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 the being bigger on the inside, is did, did people know in advance when the episode came out? Like, was that something that they talked about when they were saying, yeah, the Doctor's got a spaceship that goes through space and time? Did they ever say, and it looks like a police box, which would obviously kind of indicate to you that, well, maybe there's something, there's something weird going on there because you can't <laughs> fit four people in a police box and travel through space and time. Very low-budget show. Did, did the show have very much pre-publicity back when it was released? Because... It wasn't that big a thing then, was it? it well, was that's, a bit. That's, a, that's a thing. I imagine there probably wasn't just uh, spoilers. Also, becomes from the fact that we're now interested in telling each other about these things in a way that maybe back then stuff just happened. And also, on TV. back then, like nobody thought you would ever get the chance to see it more than once. 
Because mm. it got broadcast and there was no way to capture it or replay it. Which has been many a script editor's justification for inconsistencies in the stories. Mm-hmm. So, Petra, what was your next one? The Doctor Regenerates. The Tenth Planet, 1966. Because no one could see that coming at the time. That, that, would, that would have been a massive spoiler, wouldn't it, if you knew that in advance? Surely that would have... I, I don't think I've ever seen the, the first Regeneration episode, but that... That would have been a massive surprise. But they announced that he was leaving, though, didn't they? Before it happened. Presumably, but again, like, like, but like George was saying, we don't know how much publicity... Yeah. You know, it's not like now where the press is going to cover the, 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 the betting odds on who the next Doctor is are being reported on a day-by-day I know, basis. that's insane, isn't it? Yeah, so I don't, that's a good question. Because there's some evidence that, yeah, he was announced... Bef- Trouton was announced before he did it, but whether or not... I mean, they might have just said... If, even if you did read it, you might have just read William Hartnell's leaving the show, Patrick Troughton's coming onto the show, and you knew that meant they were changing the leading actor, but you didn't know whether that meant they were going to kill the character and have a new character, or like him actually physically changing bodies but being essentially the same person as, well, no one had ever done something like that before. I think it was a surprise when I saw Tom Baker regenerate. Because even though I, by then, because as, as George said, ABC did show older ones, so I had seen other doctors as the doctor but I don't think in my head at that time I kind of put it together so that so that episode which I still have very clearly in my head with the whole you know superimposition and and stuff it it was a surprise and a bit confusing and 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 why is Tristan now that that was actually my first (laughs) big spoiler that was yeah. that the was first big spoiler that I can remember because I, I had discovered the Doctor Who Club of Victoria by this stage. And so I knew all about the fact that Tom Baker was going to regenerate into Peter Davison. So, and that just made me more eager to see it. And that was big news at the time. By that stage, particularly because Peter Davison was a very famous actor before he took on the role of the Doctor, they announced him well in advance and people knew that he was coming. So they knew it was going to happen. And it had already happened, you know, three times previously by then. I really don't think I knew. I, I because I none of my friends were Doctor Who watchers. My mum watched Doctor Who, and and she obviously had never told me any of the mythos of Doctor Who. So it was it was a surprise. And then she explained. <laughs> but that, but that's the thing. So I wasn't in the Doctor Who club. My, I didn't know the Doctor regenerated. If anything in my head, because characters leave shows and other people come in so I must have just decided there, there had been other doctors I don't know I didn't realize it was the doctor just changing shape so I, I think if you'd known that with the very first one I yeah it would have, would have been a spoiler yeah it would have been a massive yeah. spoiler. this planet is full of Daleks Planet of the Daleks, 1973. Now, we put that there because it's a cliffhanger <laughs> reveal. It's at the end of the episode where the Doctor has been talking to the Thals who've come to this planet to battle some people they haven't mentioned and call them. Uh, he discovers one of them's invisible, sprays it with a spray can, and bloody hell, it's a Dalek. Who could have seen that coming? And then they open up a hole in the planet in the ice cano. Let's not go there. <laughs> And it's full of hibernating Daleks. But is it a spoiler for the BBC to name their own show Planet of the there Daleks? Is, there is an unwritten law in writing Doctor Who, isn't there, that you have to include Daleks in the title of any story they appear in. They are in most of the ones that feature them, it's true. Except for the chase. The chase, isn't it? Yeah, that's just to lure oh, people man. in. <laughs> There's a lovely joke about Robert Shearman when he was working on Dalek, and at one point they thought they didn't have the rights to use the Daleks, and so he'd write a, a version without them in, and he had, he handed it entitled "Absence of the Daleks." <laughs> the Doctor comes from Gallifrey, 
The Time Warrior, 1973. So this just shows up in passing. It's mentioned. It's the first time the name of the planet's ever used. Mm. Spoiler, not spoiler. No, Isn't that just backstory? Yeah. Backstory yeah. being filled in. We already know where it's from. We just don't know what it's called, really, yeah. by that stage. Those creepy people are androids. The Android Invasion, 1975. <laughs> and the crew are being killed by robots. Robots of Death, 1977. <laughs> they're really not very subtle with their titles on Doctor Who, are they? Uh, no, they're not, are can, they? Can titles be spoilers? Yes. Depends how much attention you're paying. I, I don't know how much attention I pay to the words at the front. When, it, when it's a kid's show and you've got seven and eight-year-olds watching, how much attention are they actually paying to words scrolling up a screen? I, I paid attention. <laughs> no, but and that you is an interesting. <laughs> That's an interesting point, though, too, because you said like that it was a surprise to you the regeneration when you were a kid. And if you're a kid, you're not watching the news or reading the Financial Times, probably, and you're not actively involved in fandom, and you're not True. actively involved in seeking out major news sources. You don't get it. Why Do- would Doctor you know? Doctor Who didn't turn up in TV Week. What I'm wondering now is, like, do kids who are watching Doctor Who now, like, they're not reading the Radio Times in the UK, they're not reading the Green Guide in Australia, did they know that Matt Smith is going to leave? Did they know that David Tennant was going to leave? We are. We have the internet now, though. Yeah. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, are, but are, like, the really young kids who are into Doctor Who, like, if they're seven or eight years old, are they are they reading spoilers on the internet? Or does this stuff come the as a surprise to them? probably telling them. Hey, that show that you like, they're changing the lead actor. Actually, that, that seems more likely to me. That, yeah, a parent yeah. will, will you know, yeah. thinking it's a good idea, go... You, I could imagine my you... parents doing that. Well, George, you, you've got kids. Do you, do you tell your kids what's going to happen? Do they watch Doctor Who? Um, they don't watch Doctor Who, actually. They, they think it's too scary. Oh, um, that's the best reason they, not to watch it. Um, they watched um, the Sarah Jane Adventures with me. Oh, that's great. But... Uh, um, no, I, I didn't tell them what was happening. I like the idea your kids are watching Mad Men and just think it's beneath them. <laughs> I've tried. Believe me, I've tried. You know, I, I, I showed them the, the two-part Silurian episode from Matt Smith and it scared the crap out of my four-year-old and she never wants to see Doctor Who again. <laughs> you can try again when she's a bit older. Show her yeah. Blink. She'll love that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but make sure once you, after you've shown her, take her to like a cemetery or something. <laughs> Bloody hell, it's the Cybermen. Earthshock, 1982. Because they deliberately didn't put Cybermen in the title. And in fact, JNT said, we will not have a Radio Times cover with the Cybermen on it. We want them to be a surprise. And you don't see them for that entire first episode until right at the end, when the viewer finds out it's the Cybermen. But the Doctor doesn't even find out until like another episode or two after that. So I think, I think that, was, that was clearly a, a meant to be a surprise and controlled by the people making the show as a surprise and that was that was very nicely done yeah um, and again I would have been really disappointed to have known that beforehand but there's another one from that story as well Adric dies Earthshock 1982 oh, I, I'm still wounded that's when Doctor Who stopped being safe yeah. like the Doctor was never going to die because he was the Doctor um, he's a title character and even when you're young you kind of know that the the title character is kind of safe in narrative And you're always sure the companions were safe, always. Even when there were cliffhangers with the companions in danger, you were always pretty... Even, you know, you were a bit like, oh, no, what's going to happen? But you were pretty sure there was... And then they they really killed Adric. Like, they really killed him. And it it stopped being safe. Any companion was up for grabs. This is a curious difference, I think, between old and new in that I would have said that that's definitely a spoiler for the original series. Yeah. I would say that's not a spoiler for the new series. No, because, because they just bring them back. Well, exactly, because if you tell me any character dies, I'm going to assume they'll just be back to life. 
you know, uh, yeah, uh, usually by the end of the episode, occasionally by the end of the scene. But it's that thing of, if you actually genuinely wanted to try and do that now on the show, not only would you have to kill the character, I think the audience wouldn't get it until at least three episodes later that the character was actually dead. Like, I think it would be actually quite hard now to to convince someone you had killed the character. And even when it's not a death, it's some sort of horrible thing that's supposed to happen to them forever, like Rose being trapped in an alternate universe or, um, or whatever. she gets her very own doctor. Uh, yeah, let's, let's not talk about that again. It makes me sceptical, like the, what happens to Amy and Rory at the end of, um, you know, the Angels Take Manhattan. I'm like, well, yeah. surely that... But then, you know, if you see the, the extra scene that didn't make it into the episode that they sort of did a, sketches for and they, they read out the script, you're like, that establishes that, yeah, they never get to come back. Whereas they didn't put that in the episode, which kind of, in my head, go, makes me think, well, they could just reverse that now if they wanted. And, and it just makes me even more cross about what happened to Donna. Because I'm like, you let everyone else off the hook. Fix Donna, you bastards! <laughs> Very emotional about that, sorry. The Dalek can go up the stairs. Remembrance of the Daleks, 1988. Oh, wasn't that, that a great moment? That was a complete surprise. I, I had no idea that was going to happen when I watched that the first time. I don't know how I managed to avoid the spoilers on it, but... So that would that, be a spoiler? You reckon if you were told that... would be a spoiler, that? yes. After, after so many years of them being stopped by piles of rubble uh, that they couldn't get over and start... Yes, that, that was a spoiler. The curious thing is that the, the story beforehand, Revelation, as in the previous Dalek story, is meant to have established that, but it was done so badly that no one actually noticed. So Davros at one point is meant to be hovering and you just think he's open to disco. It's, 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 it's virtually impossible <laughs> to work out what is happening in the scene unless you've been told. And earlier in the episode, a Dalek was meant to be seen flying, which sounded amazing. They'd actually got a catapult that they were going to... Um, to <laughs> seriously, seriously, these days it's CGI. Back then you would get a catapult and a Dalek. And um, the, the weather was so bad that apparently they couldn't do it. But they were actually going to genuinely oh. fling a Dalek you across know. the... And like, we know this would have been terrible. It would never oh, have worked. I'm so pleased they didn't do that. <laughs> this episode is called The Stolen Earth. The Stolen Earth, 2008. Yeah. Now, that's only because the title wasn't disclosed to the public until 16 days before airing. The BBC had actually said, no, we can't tell you the title. So we were saying before, can titles be spoilers? The BBC feels this is a spoiler title. Is it? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's a fairly major plot point in the episode, but it's not a very interesting episode, so no, I didn't really care. <laughs> yeah, actually, I didn't like that episode at all, so really, I don't care. I would have liked it better if it was called The Mystery of the Bees, but... <laughs> It wasn't called that. It's just because I really like bees. Have either of you ever used titles for like your books that you've you've then retrospectively or for stories gone? Oh, maybe I've given too much away. Titles are often the last. They're either the very first thing that that come to me or the last thing after I've been trying to find something. So most of the 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 working titles in my head are actually massive spoilers. So you know they're like the story about the thing that happens at the end, which obviously you can't. I'm going to finish that story about the. Bleh. And it's like, well, obviously now I need to come up with a real title. It's exactly yeah. the opposite with me. I'm, I, I, I try not to be spoilery in the title. I try to come up with all these lovely titles, and then my, um, my publisher says, no, no, that means nothing to people. That's just... Like, a gamer's Quest is about gamers going on a quest, OK? That was the publisher's title. My title for it was Designer's Paradise, which meant something to me, but my publisher said, people are going to think it's a book about fashion. Yeah. You, can't, 
You can't have that. You've got to have gamers in the title. So your, your publishers are real, it does what it says on the tin kind of people. Yes. Fair and, enough. And in retrospect, they were right. <laughs> so in your new one, Gamers Rebellion... There is actually a rebellion. Yes, there is. Okay, good. Just checking. And, and Gamers Challenge, there was a challenge. And gamers have remained in the title of each one of the books. But wait, does that mean there's no challenges in Gamers Quest or Gamers Rebellion? Oh, don't start that. <laughs> Sorry. The Doctor Doesn't Regenerate, The Stolen Earth, Journey's End, 2008. This is one of the reasons why I don't like that episode. But it was a real surprise because you get halfway through what you know is a two-part episode because it hasn't resolved and you're right near the end. The Doctor gets shot by a Dalek, which has never happened before, and they do the special effect. Mm. And everyone's like, what? We thought he was coming back for another episode. It was, what's going to happen? Um, admittedly, I saw it and went, oh, this is going to ruin regeneration forever because <laughs> it's not going to happen. But it was, yeah. So what did you think about that? Was that a, Would that be a spoiler? spoiler? Yes, I think that would be a, yeah. That, I mean, I, again, I managed to watch that episode without knowing that was going to happen. Um, so it was a surprise for me, and yes, that would have been a spoiler. It's not a spoiler that I would have minded knowing. I, I could have co- coped with knowing that spoiler, but it would have been a spoiler. Well, it's because it's, it's, a, it's a cliffhanger, isn't it? So you, if, you, if you knew in advance, you've got nothing to wonder about and worry about for the next episode. Well, you'd still wonder how he doesn't regenerate since he starts regenerating as the cliffhanger. You'd still be going, you know, you're not going to go, I bet he'll just make a fake copy of himself from a hand. You know, that's not going to be the most obvious thing to come to mind. No, but it's still, I still, yeah, the the wondering, which is all you've got left once you've spoiled, all you've got left is the wondering how or or why or who or or whatever the nature of the spoiler is. That's still not as much fun for me as just, not knowing. Mel's is River Song. Let's kill Hitler, 2011. I'm going not spoiler just because the character is introduced like five minutes before it happens. Oh. So, I, I mean, if that... Because I think the, the concept of that is really interesting. And if she had been in the previous six episodes, yeah. which it felt... Let's kill Hitler. It feels like a weird episode. It feels oh, like, like, like it's getting rid of half a series worth of plot line yeah, that you, hasn't You watch it and been... you wonder, why hasn't she been in past episodes? Mm, yeah. yeah. I, I, look, for my mind, I, I want to go on record saying I actually love Let's Kill Hitler... Um, 50% just for the title. Um, the title is good. 50% yeah. for just put Hitler in a cupboard, which, uh, I mean, look, <laughs> let's, let, I'll be honest, that also has massive problems. Um, but, but it is, I, I love the, the audacity of it. But I, and I agree that it would be better if they'd seeded that with Mel's and she just turns up out of nowhere, which makes you suspicious. You're like, who is this person? Why do we care? And then obviously she turns out to be a character that we do already care about. We just didn't know. But I, I didn't know that was going to happen. I, didn't, I did not suspect when I was watching it. But then as soon as it happened, I went, oh, that's why they've suddenly introduced this incredibly important backstory character. Um, so I was kind of perplexed by her until that point, but I don't think I suspected. And I wasn't spoiled either for that one. And I wouldn't have wanted to know, I don't think. I, I would like to have them have handled it better. Well, I think that's my thing. I don't think it's a spoiler because I think it's not handled well enough to really have spoiled yeah, what it, it was doing. It felt like a bit of reverse engineering. It's like, oh, now we, now we really better work out who River Song is going to be after teasing you along for however many. She's still got thirty years missing as well. Which no one ever she seems does. to mention. It doesn't. It doesn't work. The timeline doesn't. Yeah. This is about the time I got so f- the the frustration with the plot mechanics of Doctor Who started to overwhelm the the, the genuinely um, interesting 
parts that I was still enjoying about it and and the balance just just tipped with the whole river song and it's it doesn't doesn't work it doesn't work it doesn't the time doesn't actually work um and that's kind of when I lost interest <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd go along with that I think it's a it's a mistake if the, your viewer is spending all of their trying trying to work out the convoluted backstory to something rather than actually concentrating on the story that's supposed yeah. to be on the screen I just felt like they'd had a kind of an idea but hadn't really worked at how to do it and they were plotting on the run and painting themselves into corners and I mean, I don't know. Maybe they had planned it from the beginning just badly, but, um, yeah. I, I, I kind of get the impression that, that Moffat kind of gets carried away with really mm. cool ideas but doesn't actually take the time to work out how they actually yeah. work. So does that, mean, does that mean it's harder or easier for his things to be spoiled? Is it, is it harder because they don't quite make sense so you can't expect what's going to happen because it doesn't logically follow <laughs> from what's happened before? <laughs> is that, does that make the spoiler harder? I guess it makes it more of a spoiler, isn't it? Because there's no chance you're going to work that out. We've got one more spoiler. Introducing John Hurt as the Doctor. <laughs> the name of the Doctor, 2013. Apparently the name of the Doctor is John Hurt. <laughs> But a lot of children thought that, apparently. A lot of children who, who had taken it literally, oh, we're going to find out the name of the Doctor. And, of course, they don't know who John Hurt is. They mm. genuinely thought that's what that was telling them. The Doctor's name is John Hurt, which, it's a nice name, Doctor Hurt. And I quite, I quite like the idea that all these kids now are going to go, oh, yeah, Doctor Hurt, yeah. But is that a spoiler? See, I'm going to say not a spoiler for the simple reason that it doesn't tell us anything. It's not actually... It's yeah. a concept. Mm. So it's a concept that, that when I had read it beforehand and went, oh, that's interesting... Um, I'd been told a version of it earlier than that and I kind of thought it's an interesting concept but I don't feel I'm spoiled having read it on a piece of paper as opposed to seeing it on screen because nothing happened with either of those concepts yet. Mm. It's also, it sort of directly contradicts itself because in the episode they explain that he's this version of the Doctor that doesn't even use that name and then right at the end it's written on the screen he's the Doctor. I'm like, wait, you just told me he doesn't use that name. So spoiler or no? Yes, I think it is. I, th- I, I still think it's a spoiler. To have known that beforehand, I think it's a spoiler. I think if I'd known that he was going to show up beforehand, I would have expected him to do something, not just stand there being slightly angsty, <laughs> going, well, I'm coming up in a more exciting role <laughs> later on this year. It's the cliffhanger, isn't it? It's the cliffhanger to keep you enticed until the 50th. For me, it's not a spoiler because I don't care. Like you, you've told me all this, and I'm, I'm not sitting going, "Oh God, I haven't seen it." I'm just going, "Oh, that, that's interesting." Mm-hmm. So I th- maybe the, I mean, the nature of the spoiler is, is so intrinsically tied up with how much you care about that show that, and I was still quite. If I watch an episode, I won't consider it spoiled because I don't have this pre-investment in that episode, and I'm not going to not watch it because I know my my. The probability of me watching it or not hasn't diminished because I, I know that fact. If anything, it's like, well, it's kind of interesting, actually. Maybe I will watch it because John Hurt was in it. Um, but I don't feel it's been spoiled. And I think that must only be because I really have so little emotional investment in that, that episode and the run of Doctor Who that, that's currently on that it hasn't spoiled it in any way. I'd be quite happy to watch it and, and knowing how that ending now is. And that's cool. So it's just a, a matter of terminology then. So they're not spoilers, they're yeah. just facts you know about the program exactly. beforehand. 
Because you don't feel any disappointment. I don't feel any knowing. disappointment, and I, I, I don't have any diminished desire to to watch or not to watch that show. What about episodes of or stories from Classic Who that you haven't seen and don't know the plot of? Would you feel don't spoiled? Tell me. Yeah, <laughs> I won't tell you. Don't worry. Because like I was saying before, I don't, I don't care how long a thing has been out. If someone doesn't know what happens and they they want to watch it, I'm not going to tell them. Yeah. Now you mentioned cliffhangers before. Many of those spoilers were actually also cliffhangers in the show. So maybe we should move on to discussing cliffhangers. Petra, what do you know about that? The first master of the cliffhanger was undoubtedly Scheherazade, a legendary Persian queen and the storyteller in One Thousand and One Nights. To avoid being executed by her patently crazy husband who really needed to get over himself, Scheherazade starts a new story every night but never completes them, thus forcing the king to keep postponing her execution in order to hear the conclusion. Viewers of Battlestar Galactica and Lost will be familiar with the feeling. This goes on for 1001 Nights until, spoiler, love saves the day. It's believed the term cliffhanger may originate with Thomas Hardy's 1873 novel, A Pair of Blue Eyes. Published in serial form in Tinsley's magazine, Hardy ended one chapter with the protagonist, Henry Knight, literally hanging off a cliff. Other serial writers followed, although Anthony Trollope felt that the use of suspense violated all proper confidence between the author and his reader, because the resolution could never be as exciting as the expectation. Viewers of Battlestar Galactica and Lost will be familiar with the feeling. Often these cliffhangers would be removed when the serialised works were collected as a single novel, usually without any harm to the plot. The cliffhanger was a natural for film, with the 1914 silent serial The Perils of Pauline being one of the most famous. Each week, Pearl White would escape a situation promising her imminent death, just to find herself in another one by the end of the instalment, including one time left hanging over a cliff at the New Jersey Palisades. Doctor Who's tradition of cliffhangers called back to these film serials, although soap operas were also keen on the device. Unlike Doctor Who, however, they also liked to end each season on a huge cliffhanger, including the 1975 bomb explosion in number 96, the Who shot JR storyline in Dallas in 1980, Wentworth Detention Centre catching fire in Prisoner in 1982, and the massacre of a wedding party by Moldovan revolutionaries in Dynasty in 1985. According to Wikipedia, the two main ways for cliffhangers to keep readers and viewers coming back is to either involve characters in a suspenseful, possibly life-threatening situation or to feature a sudden, shocking revelation. The 2003 season finale of A Home and Away features an example of both a shock cliffhanger in the revelation that Angie Russell was Tasha Andrews' mother and a suspense cliffhanger with the Sutherland family being trapped in a mineshaft. I'm sure you all remember where you were. <laughs> that example is part of the Wikipedia entry, by the way. We did a bit of a call-out um, earlier just to ask people if they wanted to nominate um, cliffhangers they really liked. Uh, the, the episode, one of the Daleks, in which Barbara is basically menaced by a sucker, by a, pl- by a plunger. Um, that, that many people mentioned that, including a Dalek who actually tweeted us that. Unemployed Dalek <laughs> told us this one. Another that showed up in our, our five show was episode three of Caves of Androzani. A lot of people mentioned that one, where the Doctor is willing to crash a spaceship in order to help save Perry. They so, have mostly yeah. disappeared from the new series, Cliffhangers. There's, there's very now very few yeah. two-parters. And, and um, Stephen Moffat has said he actually prefers a second part of a two-parter to be a completely new story in its own way. 
so he tends not to set them up. Do you miss them at all, George? Um, I, yeah, I do a bit. Um, uh, primarily, I think because I'm, I'm a bigger fan of the classic series than I am of the new one, and I kind of I long for all things from the classic <laughs> series, and cliffhangers are, are, are part of it. Is, is there a difference between a, a cliffhanger and just um, uh, a, a really dramatic reveal, like like the Cyberman appearing at the end? Is that is that a cliffhanger or is that a reveal. Well, it's 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 still a cliffhanger, I guess, in that yeah. it's it's the uh, as the Home and Away uh, example <laughs> showed us. It's the the revelation, yeah. uh, and in fact, a couple of those are my favourites too. End of Enlightenment, episode one, in which after having dealt with all these really creepy people on a boat, they suddenly realise they're in space. That's great. That is one. is a really lovely revelation. Yeah. So I like revelations. That's nice. That that big thing where where what you thought was happening in episode or not happening is sort of turned around, and then it's like wow. Well, I think because revelations are important to the plot, whereas yeah. the cliffhangers are often very artificial because they're just putting someone in immediate danger that doesn't actually impact And someone on the you plot. often know is, is not really going to be mm. until they killed Adric and then anything mm. was up for grabs. And Doctor Who's <laughs> occasionally done these cliffhangers which are uh, odd again because they're, they're not even quite either of those. And I'm thinking like... Um, in the face of evil, where the doctor finds his way into Zoannon, which is the robot, uh, it's, it's the computer. It's a computer you can walk into because they were big back then in those days. And of the future, you of mean, the future, John. back in those days of the future, they were quite large. And Zoannon basically has a breakdown, and a small child starts shouting, "Who am I?" over and over again, and it's just bewildering. Like it's just, it's an amazing cliffhanger, but it doesn't reveal or. But it's really creepy. It's just creepy. It is a yeah. very creepy ending, and I think it works because of that. I think sometimes even those re- reveal cliffhangers are still kind of a cliffhanger because, yeah, there's no one in immediate mortal danger because we just found out there's Cybermen there or because um, we just you know saw the Doctor go into this um, building that's a computer. But at the same time, um, now you know, oh, this is worse than I thought. Like, mm. it's not just some creepy, you know... Yeah. Um, gymnastic androids uh it's the cybermen and we know those guys are bad news and it's not just oh they're on a boat with some weird people so they're on a boat in space with weird people you can't get off a boat in space like it's it's, it heightens your investment in the story yeah yeah and you're like what how what's going on like yeah i think i think it's a cliffhanger definitely in that those were the original titles weren't they two creepy gymnastic people and the weird boat in space (laughs) yeah (laughs) i wish they were (laughs) that'd be great What's that? I, I have a slight fondness, though, for some of the, the, the cheat ones as well. I actually quite like it when they re-edit them, when they come oh. back. I actually quite enjoy that. It's like in, I think it's Mark of the Rani, in which the Doctor's on a trolley being pushed on a hill and falls into a pit. And when it, when it starts again the next week, he's rescued, like, you know, 30 metres away from the pit. Like, there is, yeah. there is no correspondence between the two What's really interesting about the um, the old stuff there, the Hartnell and, and Troughton stuff, was uh, when they used to refilm the cliffhangers because each each episode was um, filmed as a separate you know, entity, and so they used to recap by redoing it all again. And there are, you know, obviously they were originally watched a week apart, so you can't quite remember where so and so was standing, and it's not 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 too bad. But when you watch them on the DVD one after the other, and you can say, oh, "Hang on a tick." They've moved around a bit, haven't they? <laughs> and occasionally when they don't want to get the actor back in, there's just someone who was in the previous cliffhanger and got killed is now just some legs behind something. 
No, don't look at him. <laughs> Just a couple more from the readers, which I probably should mention, was uh, we mentioned The Stolen Earth before. Henrik Hansen actually says it's the best cliffhanger ever because the Tenth Doctor gets to meet up with Rose is actually shot by a Dalek, which top marks goes to that Dalek. And pity he didn't live long enough to appreciate all the free drinks he'd get with that. And then the Doctor starts to regenerate. Um, someone else mentioned Millie, says does Donna's appearance at the end of Doomsday count, which we're saying is actually to lead into the Christmas yeah. special, but yeah. in some ways it's a cliffhanger that Donna just appears. Because su- it's a surprise cliffhanger because the, he turns around and there's a woman in a wedding dress standing in the TARDIS and he goes, what, what? And then the credits roll and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> know what's going on there. That's weird. And someone else uh, said one of the best cliffhangers of all time, this is from Peter, said uh, the monk's TARDIS reveal in the Time Meddler. Imagine that at the time. See, which, Yeah, I, I watched that today just to remind myself what it's like and it's really not... The, the characters are not that surprised. They they go into the the room and there's a cable coming out of a, like a little like it's it's like a table with a cupboard underneath. And they go, why is this cable coming out of here? And they open the doors and Stephen goes, oh, we can go in there. I'm like, why aren't you more surprised? It's tiny. And they go inside. They come out in a TARDIS. And Vicky just goes, the monk's got a TARDIS. <laughs> Kind of like they just walked into his garden and went, he's got a garden. No. <laughs> it's really, and, and then it just, it just ends and they're just standing in the TARDIS going, oh, <laughs> look at that. It's not very suspenseful, but it is a surprise. <laughs> we better wrap things up because we have, of course, our musical act to get to and Kirsten has a book signing, I believe, to go to. A book launch, yes. A book launch. You're launching a book. Of my book, yes. Which book are you launching? Um, it's the, the latest of the 12 planets collection series um and and it's my collection it's called caution contains small parts is that a spoiler it does contain small parts (laughs) should we be cautious and you probably should be cautious so yes all right that's cool george did you have a book you want to plug while you're here um my latest book gamers rebellion which concludes the gamers trilogy is out now in all good bookstores if you live near a bad bookstore you're out of luck <laughs> please thank Kirsten and George <laughs> you can find all details about the live show you can find all the previous podcasts at splendidchaps.com we're Splendid Chaps on Facebook and Twitter yes thanks to those of you who tweeted us um, I'll read just out a couple of the things that got tweeted I, I did do a call out for last minute questions uh, Lee Zachariah said, do you think if withheld, hadn't redacted, then removed, wouldn't have deleted, ploded? Well, I think that's an excellent question, Lee. Yeah. To take us out, because we are at a fan convention, there was an episode of Doctor Who that looked at fans and fans of Doctor Who. The, I think, the much-loved and highly acclaimed, probably voted the best Doctor Who episode of all time, Love and Monsters. Now... Uh, in Love and Monsters, the, the London Investigating Detective Agency, <laughs> yeah. Linda, uh, likes to perform ELO songs. So to take us out for this episode, we have Petra Elliott and Caleb Garfinkel doing their version of Mr. Blue Sky. And until next we meet, thank you. It's good. Keep warm.
smiles at you. Hey there, Mr. Blue, we're so pleased to be with you. Look around, see what you do. Everybody smiles at you. Splendid Chaps. We'd like to thank this episode's Splendid Chaps, George Ivanov, Kirsten McDermott, Caleb Garfinkel, and me. Your hosts were Ben McKenzie and John Richards. The audio engineering and theme tune were created by the technical wizardry of David Ashton from Sample and Hold Studios. You can find us at SplendidChaps.com and as Splendid Chaps on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Petra Elliott, and until next time, thank you. It's good. Keep warm.